Well, our current message series is called Profound Stories, and in this series we're looking at some of the parables that Jesus used to teach important lessons. This morning, I've entitled the message Eternal Investing, and we're going to look at some of the profound principles that Jesus taught concerning money. Now, money is an issue for everyone. In our society, money is an essential element of how we live our lives. I believe that money is a tool that God has given to mankind as a blessing, and yet we all have questions about money. We ask questions like, uh, how am I going to get enough to live the life I want to live? How am I going to spend my money? How am I going to save my money? How am I going to prepare for the future regarding my finances? And all of those questions, they have no easy answers, and they're often a cause of worry and stress for many people. We're tempted to worry about if we have enough money to pay our bills today, and let alone tomorrow. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about money. There are over 2,350 verses in the Bible that speak about money or possessions. And that's a lot of verses. It's not a minor topic in the Bible. Today, before we dive into Jesus' teaching about money, let's look at a few verses that will help us to understand and lay a framework for how God views money. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, I'd encourage you to take out the white page in the middle of your bulletin. It has the outline of the message there, as well as the verses, and you can fill in some blanks uh, if you'd like to study it this week. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, this is one of those verses that's often misquoted, and people say, well, the Bible says money, money is the root of all evil. Well, that verse actually says that the love of money uh, is a root of all kinds of evil. And so I believe, again, that money is a tool, it's a gift from God that we are to use according to His direction. But when somebody falls in love with money, it becomes an idol that leads to evil. The second part of this verse tells us that when money becomes an idol, it can lead people away from a faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to talk about that as we go on with the stories later in the message. Hebrews 13, 15 says, keep your life free from love of money and be content. You might want to circle that word content. That's a key word there. With what you have. For he has said, that's Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so if you are concerned about not developing this love for money, the writer of Hebrews there gives us the solution. When you love money, you can never have enough. If you love money and you're a millionaire, you want to be a billionaire. Okay? And it just goes on like that. When you love money, everything in your life then become subservient to your pursuit of what you love, your pursuit of money. Rather, this verse tells us we are to be content with what God has given to us. We are to seek first His kingdom, and then He promises to meet all our needs. How can we be content? Well, this verse gives us the answer. We can be content because Jesus is with us. He promised never to leave us or forsake us. He promised to walk with us and take care of us. And so the Bible teaches us that all we have, including our money, comes from God. It's owned by God. 
And so our money is not ours. It's really God's. We're simply managers of what God has entrusted to us, the things that he's blessed us with. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required of stewards or managers that they be found faithful. A steward or manager is someone who takes care of or uses somebody else's property, their affairs, and their finances for the owner's benefits. And we are to be God's managers of everything that he's blessed us with. We are to be faithful as God's managers. Now, if we're not faithful, what does an unfaithful manager do? Well, an unfaithful manager takes the owner's money and uses it for himself rather than the benefit of the owner. And so we must be faithful with what God has blessed us with. So that's an introduction. Today we're going to look at two profound stories that Jesus taught to help us better understand the whole topic of money in light of eternity. Jesus taught us to be rich towards God. We're going to unpack that as we go through this story. Luke 12, 15, Jesus is speaking to a group of people. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so this verse comes immediately before Jesus tells his story. It tells us what the topic of his story is going to be all about. You know, one of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not covet. And to covet is to yearn to, to uh, possess something that somebody else has. Somebody else has something and you covet it. You want it for yourself. And Jesus warns us that our goal in life should not be to have a lot of possessions. You know, some time ago there was a bumper sticker that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's not a Bible verse. And uh, it's not true. <clears throat> it's not true. When we become fixated on our possessions and we want more and more, we fall into the sin of covetousness. And there's no end to it because there's no end to the things that we can covet that other people have. And so Jesus then begins to tell a story of a man who was covetous. And his whole life was centered around his possessions. And Jesus is going to teach us that we must avoid having selfish goals. And so Jesus' story begins, and we're not going to read every verse here. You can read it for yourself in Luke chapter 12. He begins by telling us a story about a rich man. And one year, this rich man had a bumper crop, a crop that was a huge crop. He was going to have a huge harvest. In fact, this harvest was so great, so bountiful, that he had nowhere to store his grain. He had barns, but his harvest of this year, this bumper year, would never fit into his standing storage places. And so he came up with a plan, a plan of what to do. Let's read it in Luke 12, verse 18. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now this man was already rich before he had the bumper crop. This was a rich man. He was going to replace his current small barns with with larger ones that contain his possessions. And then it appears to me, in our terminology today, he was going to retire. Uh, he had plenty stored up. He had enough possessions to last years. He was going to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. 
Now notice as we look at what the rich man said, what is one of the words that repeats a lot? I. I. I will do this. I will. I will. I will. I will say. It's all about himself. And really, he refers to his possessions. There's a lot of mys in there, right? There's my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. It's all about himself. There's no consideration of anybody else, not even his family, not his community, not his God. And somebody once said the middle letter of the word sin is I. And of course, that's not true in the Greek language, but uh, in the English language, it is the letter I. And the essence really of all sin is being self-centered. It's all about us, not about other people, not about God. And we see that in the life of this rich man. Rather than living to have this comfortable retirement that was all about himself, he should have been aiming for spiritual wealth. Our story goes on. God gets involved in this rich man's life. In verse 20, it says, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so the very first thing that God says to this rich man is he calls him a fool. In the Bible, a fool is someone who's not wise, someone who does not have a relationship with God. If you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll find that a fool is an unbeliever and believers are wise. So everyone in the world, it's a binary world, they talk about this a lot, is either Foolish or wise. And God pronounced his verdict on the rich man. The man had thought he had years of enjoyment ahead with this bumper crop, with this wealth. But who was in charge of his soul? It wasn't himself. It was God. And God was in charge of his soul. The man was going to die that very night. And all of his possessions would no longer be his. They would be left for somebody else. You don't take your money. You don't take your possessions with you when you die. They're left for others. And his sin was laying up treasure or wealth for who? For himself alone. The rich man didn't understand that everything he had was a gift from God. That he was to manage for God and not himself. And so what was Jesus' conclusion here? He said, so is someone who lays up treasure for himself is not rich towards God. This rich man should have been rich towards God. What does it mean to be rich towards God? Well, it means not to be living for yourself. It means to be living for God. To be rich towards God is to live life treating all of one's money, all of one's possessions as gifts from God. To be managed for God. To be rich towards God is to make your relationship with God the most important thing in your life, not your possessions. To be rich towards God is to aim for spiritual wealth, heavenly treasures, and not earthly treasure. And so as we think about how this story applies to our lives, let's think a little bit more about what Jesus means when he tells us to be rich towards God. Let's look at a few other sayings that, that Jesus taught to help us better understand. He taught us to seek God's kingdom first, to not worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, where we're going to live. He said, if we seek God's kingdom first, if we put him first in our lives, 
then God is going to meet all of our needs. Jesus also taught us not to lay up treasures on earth, which is what the rich man was doing, but rather lay up treasures in heaven to be rich towards God. And so this story that we've just talked about, that we've just discussed, is really a negative example. We have an example of somebody who is not rich towards God. And we learn from that how we are not to live, but we are to be rich towards God in opposition to what this man did. Now let's turn to a second story, another story of Jesus, which gives us more of a positive example of being rich towards God and preparing for eternity. The story begins in Luke chapter 16. It said, Jesus also said to his disciples, there was a rich man, another rich man, who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man, the manager, was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And so in this story, we have a business that's owned by a rich man. He had a manager underneath him. This manager was supposed to be carefully managing his owner's resources. Reports came to the manager that uh, came to the owner that the manager had been unfaithful in his job. Rather than being a faithful manager, he had been wasting or squandering the owner's resources. We don't know exactly what he was doing. Perhaps he was spending money on unnecessary things for the business, or perhaps he was even purchasing things for himself rather than for the business. Needless to say, he was being fired by the owner. His behavior was unacceptable. And so the behavior of this manager is certainly not an example for us to follow. And yet as the story continues, Jesus is going to teach us a lesson about being a wise manager. So just as in the previous story, this manager now begins to think to himself about his future. He's going to lose his job. In those days, well, even today, being a manager is a pretty prestigious position. Uh, you're over a, a lot of people. You report directly to the owner or some higher up. And he was thinking, what am I going to do if I lose this job? He thought to himself, he said, I'm not strong enough for manual labor. I can't dig ditches, okay? I just can't do it. I'm not strong enough for it. I don't want to be a beggar on the street, so what am I going to do? Well, he thinks to himself, verse 4, he says, I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? Well, this manager came up with a plan. Again, this is not a plan to follow. <laughs> this is kind of a, there's something we can emulate in this story in a certain way and some things we cannot or we should not. The manager then spoke to people who owed money to his master. He found out the first debtor owed 100 measures of oil. He said, okay, I'm going to reduce your debt to 50 measures of oil. Do you think the uh, person who owed the master money was happy with that? Yeah. He's like, oh, that's great. The next debtor owed 100 measures of wheat. He said, okay, I'm going to reduce your debt as well. You now only owe 80 measures of wheat. The guy was overjoyed. Now, was this manager being a wise manager? Now, he was continuing his nefarious ways, squandering the owner's resources, wasting the owner's resources really to profit himself, not financially, but in some other ways. 
the people whose debts had been reduced thought he was great. He was, became friends with these people. And that was his whole point, to become friends with people so that they would take care of him in the future. Now, Jesus is going to end this story in a surprising way. He's going to teach us an important principle. We are to use money to make forever friends. The master, verse 8, commended the dishonest, so we see here he's dishonest, dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they, the friends, may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So let's unpack that. The master, even though he had been cheated out of the money that people owed him, he commended this dishonest manager, not for being dishonest, but but for being shrewd or wise. Now, how is the manager being shrewd or wise? Well, in a worldly way, he was thinking ahead. He was planning for the future. He was using the authority he had as a manager to make friends for himself with money. He was using that money as a tool to make friends. And so in the very last verse here, verse 9, Jesus brings home the main point. He instructs us, the sons of light, believers, to make friends for ourselves with money. Now what's he talking about? What, what kind of friends? It says, So that when unrighteous wealth, that's money in the verse, we're to use money to make friends when it fails. When does money fail to have any impact in our lives? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, when we're dead, when we pass on, it it has no meaning to us in heaven. And so... The friends that, who is going to receive us into eternal dwellings? That's heaven. Other people who are saved. And so, friends will welcome us into eternal dwellings. So these friends are unsaved people who become believers through the use of the money that God has entrusted to us. When we die, we'll enjoy heaven together with them. And so this is a, this is an incredible thing that money that can't, be used in heaven or taken to heaven can be used to help people come to Jesus. And when they become saved, they will be in heaven. They will be our forever friends. And so this parable, I believe, is really an, uh, an explanation of what Jesus meant in other places where he told us to lay up treasure in heaven. Again, nothing tangible that we have here on this earth will go from earth to heaven, not our money nor any possessions that we have. The only way to get treasure into heaven is to convert money to save people because it's only people who are going to go to heaven. So we must learn to use our money to prepare for eternity. All of the money that we have, all the money that you have, sometimes we think we earned it, you know, we can do with it as we please. No, it's all God's. Who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the strength? Who gave you the mental uh, intelligence? All of our money is God's. And we are to manage His money the way He instructs us to. Many instructions. I just said 2,350 verses on money and possessions in the Bible. God's instructed us in His Word. One of the basic instructions is to give a tithe or 10% of our income to the church family, the place that we worship. As a church 
Churches are leading people to Christ. You're investing in forever friends. What about the 90% of your income? Some people say, well, I'll give God 10% and 90% to do as I please. Well, that's not what Jesus says. Everything you have is God's. Now, of course, God knows that we have needs in our lives. We encourage everyone here at Life Church to give to missions uh, with faith promises above your tie that supports missionaries, thousands of missionaries around the world that are leading people to Christ in every nation. The remaining income, we have needs, and God wants us to work to meet our family's needs. And even for personally seeking on our own to make more forever friends. Witnessing, showing kindness to people around us. Jesus is teaching us to prepare for eternity with our money. That's eternal investing. An investment that is going to bring returns not just in this life, but forever. And finally, let's not be dishonest managers, but be faithful managers. Jesus continues with teaching after this story in verse 10. He says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. So this is another important principle that Jesus is is bringing, uh, speaking about after this story. He says that if we're faithful managers for God, when we just have a little bit of resources, if we just have a little bit of money, then he can trust us with more. The more may be more money, or it may be blessing in another area of your life. He's going to trust you with more blessing as you're faithful with what you have. The point is we must be faithful with whatever God has blessed us with. And as we are, God will give us increased blessing. Now, sometimes people turn this around and say, God, if you give me a lot, then I'll give you some. And God says, no, take the little you have, use it for me, give what I tell you to give, use everything you have for my kingdom, and I will bless you with more. We need to be faithful with what we have. Verse 11, Jesus says, If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, which is money, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And so Jesus concludes, was well, not quite concluding, we've got one more verse, but Jesus' emphasis here is on being faithful. Unrighteous wealth, is money. Now he says, who will entrust to you the true riches? What, what are true riches? Well, true riches are spiritual wealth. It's spiritual wealth. True riches are riches in heaven, treasures in heaven. And so being faithful with money translates earthly wealth, the dollars, the bank accounts, the investments that we have, into treasures in heaven. Being faithful with money translates earthly wealth into spiritual riches. And Jesus makes it clear here, if you have not been faithful in that which is another's. He means are you have not, if you've not been faithful with that which is mine, who is going to give you that which is your own? You need to be faithful with what God has given us in each and every way. We ought to serve God, not money. Jesus ends with a statement in verse 13. He says, no servant 
can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus says that you can't serve two masters. Now, many people think it can, they, do, they can do it. You can serve God a little bit and money a little bit, but it can't be done. He applies to the, this general principle to the story he just told us. He says you can't serve God and money at the same time. If money becomes an idol in your life, if you're serving money, you can't serve or worship God at the same time. A believer is somebody who serves God 100% and manages all of God's blessing in his life, whether it's money, whether it's time, talents, or possessions for God alone. And Jesus is commanding his followers, his disciples, to be faithful managers. Now, the Old Testament is full of examples where, where people tried to worship God at the temple and yet continued to worship idols elsewhere. They tried to have, quote, the best of both worlds. And God always condemned such behavior. They were trying to serve two masters. He said that kind of worship is unacceptable. God says in the Ten Commandments, I'm a jealous God. You must have no other gods before me. Uh, we must worship and serve God alone. And so Jesus desires for his followers to put him first in every area of your life. Whether being regular, worshiping him, putting him first in your finances, every minute of your life is his Every dollar you earn is his as well. And when we are fully devoted to Jesus, we're going to follow his direction with everything that we have. Money, time, and relationship. And so today we've talked about eternal investing, living our lives in light of eternity, managing our, our finances for eternity, not just for today or tomorrow. And Jesus says our goal should be to be rich towards God. Avoiding selfish goals in our lives. We prepare for eternity by using the resources that God has entrusted to us to make forever friends. You see, the only forever friends we're going to have are other believers. God wants us to use what he's given us to make more of those. Be a faithful manager of what you have. Say, oh, I just have a little. God says, hey, be faithful in that. And I'll give you more. God's going to bless you with true riches. As we faithfully manage our resources in this life. He'll give us true riches both in this life and in the next. When you invest in eternity, you're going to reap an eternity of reward. Now in order to be this eternal investor that we talked about today. We're talking about becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. There are not multiple ways to be saved. There's only one way to be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to have a relationship with God. To become a believer according to God's word, we need to admit that we've sinned. We've done wrong things. And the penalty for those things is eternal death, spending eternity in hell. But the good news is we need to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that our sins might be forgiven. He paid the penalty. We put our faith and trust in him. We ask him to forgive our sins, and we commit our lives to following him as our Lord and Savior all the days of our lives. So I'd like to ask us to bow our heads right now, and if you'd like to commit your life to Jesus Christ for the first time today, 
Or perhaps recommit your life to him. Perhaps you feel like you've wandered away and you want to give him 100%. I'd encourage you to pray along with me as well. Say something like this. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I knew they were wrong. I did them anyhow. I repent. I turn away from those things. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. That I might be forgiven. He paid the penalty for my sin. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I commit myself to following you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen.